Hello? Oh, snap. All right. It's the first time we're going wireless over here. All right. All right, if you, have your, ooh, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 13. All right. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's a good night. It's a good night. Amen. It's a good night. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's read this verse together. Matthew 21, verse 13. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It says, it is written. Actually, let's read that all together. One, two, three, go. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Amen. Tonight, brothers and sisters, you have come to a prayer meeting. That means that ideally, we want you to do the majority of the speaking tonight. So that means that if it's okay with y'all, I'm going to keep my message short. If y'all know me, this ain't no cop out. My church knows how long I can preach. It might be long, but it don't feel long. Right, JSM? Uh, y'all going to get it tomorrow. All right. Now, a wise man once said, you can tell how popular a guest speaker is by who comes to a conference or a retreat. You can tell how popular a church is by who attends Sunday service. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by who shows up to the prayer meeting. You know, it's not about a guest speaker or author. It's not about your church or my church. It's all about Jesus, amen? Amen. And if it's all about Jesus, then we got to be all about prayer. Because Jesus said in this verse, in this chapter, this verse, 21, verse 13, He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So if you want to be all about Jesus, then you got to be all about prayer. He didn't say a house of preaching or a house of prophecy, hallelujah, or a house of packed people. Although these things are important, but let's deal with the word of God. He said, my house shall be called A house of prayer. Hallelujah. Now, you know, this monthly prayer meeting we got here going on is a beautiful thing. Amen? It's beautiful. And I believe that it's part of a bigger prayer movement that God is raising up in the nations right now. This is not unique to just Korea here. This is a prayer movement that God is raising up across the nations. Because you see, God's about to do something He's about to do something so, he's about to ready the church 
for a billion man harvest. Hallelujah. Because we're reaching into the billions in the population these days. So God's like, I'm, I'm up for it. Hallelujah. I'm ready my church for that billion man harvest. So he's raising up prayer. And this harvest will be so large that just like in the story of Peter, it's going to break the nets of the church. And by the anointing of the Spirit, the blind will see, the crippled will walk, the lepers will be cleansed, and the demonized will go free. Amen? Amen. Miracles and healings will take place all over the world. God prophesied this in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am about to do something in your days that you will not believe, even if you were told. And I believe that, brothers and sisters, Korea will play a pivotal role in bringing about this worldwide revival. But before any of this will happen, I believe that God is raising up prayer movements. It's just the way God does things. He ordains prayer before he brings his purposes to pass. And he's looking for houses that he can call a house of prayer. Whether this is a church or with many churches or with your co-workers at your office or with your family at home or with your small group. God's looking for houses of prayer. Amen? Amen. So let me ask you a question tonight. How is your prayer movement? How is the prayer movement in your small group? In your own personal life? How is the prayer movement at your church. I ain't here to judge. I'm just here to assess. Let's ask ourselves these hard questions. How often do the leaders of your church gather to have extended times of prayer and seeking God's face? How often do the members of your church gather to just pray? No guest speaker, just Jesus. Do prayer meetings that take do do prayer meetings take place when you meet in your small groups? Or do you just want to just study the Bible, do your closing prayer, and I'm out? Does your church emphasize large prayer meetings like the North Korea Repentance Day of Prayer we had this past Wednesday? Or joint prayer meetings like this? There's a great man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And he said. The condition of the church may be accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. You know, when pastors gather, and, uh, you know, this past year I became a pastor, so I started mingling more with pastors. So, I'm not, I wasn't a pastor for many years, but as I, as I, as I mingle with them, they you know, I see what they, what they try to talk about. And when Pastors get together, they, they, ask, they always ask this question, and eventually it's coming. Hey, how many people attend your services? Uh, you know, I'm always tempted to ex- exaggerate a little bit. Uh, we had 80 last week, but you know what? A couple people were sick. That person was probably away. 80, 88. 
90. We're at about 90. 100, actually. Let's say 100. Now, um, but this is the accepted way of gauging ministry success. But if the prayer meetings are an accurate gauge, as Charles Spurgeon is saying, of the condition of a church, and if prayer meetings tell us how popular Jesus really is, then let us all ask ourselves, how is the prayer movement at my church? How many people consistently attend the prayer meetings? And this goes for my church as well, JSCN. How often do we meet? Do we just do the minimum? Or are people taking initiative to start their own prayer meetings? How much time do we allot for prayer? Sometimes they have prayer meetings and they only have about 10-15 minutes to pray. Lots of praise, lots of preaching going on. But prayer meetings should be set aside for prayer, amen? Hopefully, we'll, we'll start to do more of that here as well, hallelujah. We're just trying to... I'm not here to judge, I'm just here to assess. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, if God looked down at your church today, would he say, oh, you see that right there? Oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's a house of prayer. Would God call your church a house of prayer? That's what Jesus is all about. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. You see, before anybody had a church service to go to, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. Genesis 4, 25. Adam lay with his wife again. That's not what I'm focusing on here. Hallelujah. (laughs) Stay with me. She gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God had granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. So Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. Sorry. And then the last verse says, At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Before there was a Bible, or a nice praise song written, or a sermon put together with three points, men and women called on the name of the Lord. The Bible says in Jeremiah 33, Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things you do not know. Hallelujah. And the King James, hallelujah. And God gives us a promise that when you call to him, he will answer you. And not only that, he'll tell you great and mighty things that you don't even know about. That you wouldn't even believe if you were told today. Hallelujah. You see, the devil knows this word in Jeremiah. And his strategy since the time of Adam has been to tell us, don't call. Don't do it. Do not call on the name of the Lord. You'll be fine without calling on the name of the Lord. You can get by on your own again. And he succeeded in doing this with Adam's children, you see. Because shortly after Adam's death, we have no mention of men calling on the name of the Lord. So what happens? Wickedness increases. 
And God brings the flood. Then we have no mention of Noah's children calling on the name of the Lord. So what happens? God intervenes. As wickedness increases, men start to build a tower of Babel. God just puts a whole bunch of languages, confuses them. And then God does something interesting. He makes his covenant with one man, Abram. In order to raise up a people who will call upon his name. Hallelujah. And if you don't read your Bible carefully, you'll never pick this up. You see, with God's gracious involvement, he broke the pattern where men stopped calling on the name of the Lord. He broke this pattern because what did Abraham do? If you read Genesis 21, verse 23, I mean 33, the Bible says Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And what did Isaac do in Genesis chapter 26? The Bible says he called on upon the name of the Lord. And what did Jacob do in Genesis 32, verse 9? Jacob called upon the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You see, with God's gracious involvement, he started to raise up a people that were learning to call upon the name of the Lord. And today, God continues to raise up people who will call upon his name. Because when we call upon the name of the Lord, there is a promise that he will answer. But when we refuse or neglect to call, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. You call Domino's, you're going to get a pizza. You don't call Domino's, you get nothing. Look, I never saw a brother angry for not getting a pizza when he didn't make a call to Domino's. It's as simple as that. You call on the Lord, there's a promise. You don't call, there's nothing. Psalm verse 14, chapter 14, verse 4 says, Will evildoers never learn, those who devour my people as many bread, and those who do not call on the Lord? David saw evildoers as men who do not call upon the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are the people of God. Let us not be numbered with evildoers. Because that is not the way we are to be identified or described. We are to be a people that call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? You know, the Hebrew word for call, it means to cry out. To implore aid. To cry out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This means that there is a time and a place for quiet prayer. But there is also a time and a place to cry out to the Lord our God. Amen? Amen. You know, Spurgeon said it like this. Hallelujah. As you can tell, I like, I like Charles Spurgeon. The best style of prayer. Hallelujah. Note he said best style. Now, I ain't saying best style. I'm just reading his quote. But he said the best style of prayer is that which cannot be called anything else. But a cry. Oh, hallelujah. People tell me, I don't like it when you lead prayer. You all loud and I can't hear myself. <laughs> I don't like that style. 
I understand, brothers and sisters, if you're not used to loud prayer meetings. And I'm willing to take you by the hand. And I bet I can get you to like it. But you know what? Don't you ever make it an issue of style. Oh, they is praying Korean style. Man, how many th- I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Look, this ain't a Korean thing. This ain't a Pentecostal symbolism thing. Okay? This is a kingdom thing, amen? amen? This is a spirit thing. And when God wants to build his kingdom with power and release an outpouring of his spirit, he requires his people to cry out. He, he brings them out. He calls them out. If you don't do it, man, the rocks might just cry out in our place. Hmm. You know, it's like, it's like telling a woman in labor to be quiet. Don't do it. Look, when the church is about to give birth and push out a revival, we're just going to make some noise, amen? Yeah. There's going to be some noise involved, hallelujah. And it's very normal. <laughs> Praise be to God, hallelujah. And Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Brothers and sisters, I don't care what country or church you're from here tonight. You need to get this message deep down in your spirit. And don't let the devil steal it away from you. Whatever church or country or setting you are placed in, may the Spirit of God always confirm in your spirit that the people of God must call upon His name. And that the house of God must be called a house of prayer. That you never be shaken from that truth. Brothers and sisters, when your private prayer life is on fire, the Spirit of God will flow out from you like rivers of living water. You know, a person who prays regularly, the anointing of the Spirit will begin to flow through them. It's this invisible power. See, when the anointing of God rests upon you, that's when the Spirit of God lives in you. You know, the Bible tells us over and over again that the Spirit of God ought to be living in you. The Spirit of God... Who is living in you, the Bible says. But a lot of Christians have the Spirit of God in them as a deposit guaranteeing their eternal life. But the Spirit of God is not necessarily living in them. See, a person who prays regularly is a person who is in a place of submission and surrender. See, God's Spirit is living in such people. The life of God flows out of them. But a person who does not call upon the name of the Lord is a person who is in a place of apathy, aimlessness. God's Spirit is in them, but there's not much living going on. You see, a lot of people, they like to have the Holy Spirit come over. Or even let him sleep over. Slumber party. Come on, Holy Spirit. Let's do this. But a lot of people, they don't know how, they don't learn how to let him stay. They don't let 
him live in them. He's, a, he's welcome as a guest. But I ain't giving you the key. You could stay one night, a couple nights, but you need to get you, Why are you still here? <laughs> that is the truth. But the, and the, the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. He is under the impression that he is the Lord over your life, but he doesn't force his way in. Especially to people that don't make them feel welcome. Remember that feeling in high school every time your lunch period came around? And you had to choose who, you, who to sit with? Remember that? I don't know about other countries, but in America, man, this is a harsh experience. All right. And who did you sit with? Who did you sit with? All right. You sat with people that you were comfortable with, right? People who made you feel comfortable. People who made you feel accepted. Now, even if it meant sitting with a chess team, all right, you sat with people that made you feel comfortable. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, you might have tried sitting at the cool table with the plastics or the jocks. But what happened? What happened? All right, you didn't feel comfortable around them. Or you made them feel uncomfortable and they kicked you out. (laughs) But remember that feeling? Remember that feeling? You didn't want to be somewhere where you are not accepted and where they don't make you feel comfortable. Well, the Holy Spirit's got just too much dignity and joy to force his presence on persons or churches that don't make them feel welcome. That don't make them feel accepted. That, that don't make him feel accepted to be who he is. Hallelujah. But let me tell you about a house that the Holy Spirit always enjoys feeling. And that's a house of prayer. God's Spirit always loves to fill a house of prayer. A person can make a lot of mistakes and stumble, but the Spirit ain't going anywhere as long as that person is praying. Hallelujah. A church can be unorganized and messy, but the Spirit's going to continue reviving people there so long as that church calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, there's a lot of churches in the world, but the sad fact is there's very few houses of prayer. And brothers and sisters, let us, be, let us be the generation that changes that. That either raises up new houses of prayer or turns old houses that have been falling apart and drying up. Churches that will be better characterized as cemeteries and begin, beginning to intercede and pray. And bringing the life of God back in. Hallelujah. Let us be that generation, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Isaiah 56 verse 7 is the passage that Jesus was quoting. When he goes into the temple. You know, and he 
He goes all crazy on everybody. All right. He quotes Isaiah 56, verse 7. And some interesting about this passage, if you read it in Isaiah, it says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And the NIV says nations, but more essentially literal translations like the ESV say all peoples. Hallelujah. This means that in God's house, there is no racism, no segregation, no separation of color, ethnicity, income, or social class. Can I get an amen? amen. It's a house of prayer for all peoples. You know, there's a big church back in North New Jersey that I know about. And you know what? When I visited their church, I saw that auditorium last year. And I was looking for a place to get married. I told God, God, I want to get married in that church. And God spoke to me in that same week. And he, and he said a resounding no. I mean, both through my quiet time and through that church. They said no. So I was like, okay, God, I, I guess that's you. And when I asked God, why? Because, you know, sometimes when I get set on something, I'm just like, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to move from that until you give me a good why. Hallelujah. And then that same week, actually, I heard from one friend that the reason why her family stopped going to that church was because they were getting shunned for being from a single parent home. And then I found out from another friend that the reason they stopped going to that same church was because their mother had married a non-Korean. That's not a house of prayer for all peoples. In fact, I have a disciple there and he's trying to start a prayer movement because that's not a house of prayer at all. They're not even praying. Hallelujah. And God bless that church. Hopefully they're turning things around through my disciple. Hallelujah. But brothers and sisters, it shouldn't matter whether you are adopted, half Korean, quarter black, or from a single parent home. It should not matter, hallelujah, because it's supposed to be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This means that God's house ought to be a place where people who didn't grow up in church can feel welcome. Where drug dealers, the sexually promiscuous, prostitutes even, alcoholics can feel safe to open up and repent and not feel like they're be outcasted. Where Hindus even, Muslims and Buddhists, hungry for the righteousness of God, can find salvation. A house of prayer for all peoples. But we've never had prostitutes or Muslims visit our church. Well, that's exactly my point. Either they're not showing up, or they are there, but they don't feel open enough to share with you their past. Why do show, people show up to hospitals? Why do people go to hospitals? 
Because they're sick. Because no matter how messed up their condition, they know they can find healing there. But since our churches are not offering healing or hope, our young people are turning toward drugs. Alcohol. Sex. The New Age movement. One person said it like this. A church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. But you see, somewhere along the line, we lost it. My house would be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you see, wherever God's people gather, religious spirits, demons, they try to create walls to make that gathering exclusive. Now, these walls are not visible. Oh, but they're thicker than some brick walls that you've seen. The devil knows that the more exclusive it is, the less effective the ministry. At the time of Jesus, the Pharisees hid behind such walls. And then they condemned Jesus when he wasn't being as exclusive as they were. Matthew chapter 9, when the Pharisees saw that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus has some good hearing, hallelujah. He's just, he's just eating over here all of a sudden. He, he... <laughs> it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hallelujah. And with all due respect, we know that we're all sinners. But what Jesus is saying is, I've come to not call people who think they're all righteous. I've come to call people that, that know they are sinners. Oh, they're the people that are going to call on my name. They're the people that know they need forgiveness. Hallelujah. In other words, Jesus is saying here, my house shall be called. A house of prayer for all peoples. Brothers and sisters, let us not build our ministries and churches just around teaching and preaching and good music and good programming. But may we commit ourselves to building houses of prayer for all peoples. And when your church shows up to this prayer movement, far be it from you that this be the only prayer movement that your church is a part of. But rather, may this prayer movement grow as the prayer movement as you, at your church overflows. Hallelujah. That's what we want to envision in the long run. That's what's going to be looking healthy. Hallelujah. And may all our prayers be when we come together like this. May be like a thunderous knocking at the doors of heaven. Hallelujah. A knocking that our God cannot ignore. A knocking. Hallelujah. 
that will open up the heavens. Where God will pour out His Spirit and equip His saints and send us out to reap a mighty harvest that the world has yet to see. All this and more our God will accomplish through His people if they will be houses of prayer. Let us pray, brothers and sisters.